I'm so pleased this morning that Dorcas Lehman can be with us to, to bring the message for us this morning. And most of you, probably many of you, will know Dorcas and Glenn, but I'm aware that some of you may not, so I wanted to introduce Dorcas. Dorcas and Glenn are both long-term members here at East Chestnut Street, and they have been attending Neffsville Mennonite Church, where Glenn is serving as organist for a year or so, right? Several years. Uh, and Dorcas is campus pastor at, and also counselor at Lancaster Mennonite School. And Dorcas, we're really glad that you can be with us here this morning, and we just want to be attentive to what you bring for us. Thank you. It is so good to be here this morning. Last Sunday, a friend from Neffsville said that she loves these angels on the windowsills. She had been here at the memorial service for Lester and Pauline Denlinger. And while being in the experience of that uh, with her friends, these angels on the windowsills caught her eye. And there was a particular one she liked. And she said, look at it when you go in there. It is so simple and so lovely. I want to make one myself. I knew why the angels have appeared here, at least partly, because my preaching assignment for today is to notice an angel visitation. Last Sunday, it was Gabriel visiting Mary, and the Sunday before, it was also Gabriel visiting Zechariah, but today we notice an angel visits Joseph. This unnamed angel offers a new way of seeing and a new way of responding. And so the question that follows is, will Joseph allow himself to be redirected by the angel? If we were listening to Matthew 1, 18 to 25, read in the message translation, we already know whether Joseph says yes, no, or maybe. But when an angel visits, you have to live the question. You have to stop, look, and listen. Because when an angel visits, God is bending low, close enough for heaven to touch earth, close enough for mystery to meet reason, close enough for fear to meet hope. We don't know if the angel looked like a human being or the gold and purple-winged beauty in back of us here, or the shape I used to make when I lay down in the snow and circled my arms to leave my angel print in the yard. But we do know that this angel in Matthew is more messenger than guardian. This angel has come from God it catches Joseph's eye. Can you love an angel like this? Let's take a look and see. Let's enter the mystery. Let's enter this story like a math teacher that wants you to show your work and not just your answer. Let's see where the story takes us. And let's see how Joseph deals with this sudden interruption. This is the birth story of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. 
Reading in Matthew now, starting chapter 1, verse 18, if you want to follow along in your Bible, and this now is the NRSV version. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. In other words, divorce her informally. But just when he had resolved to do this, let's stop right there and feel the interruption. Just when Joseph had made up his mind, God spoke to him in a dream. Recently in a seminary class, we were discussing how much attention should you give to your dreams? How do you know if the, if the dream you had last night is bringing a message from God or if it is just the late night Christmas party food unsettling your stomach? How do we ever know if something is from God or some other place? How do you know if it is your voice or the voice of God? I often wonder this. Not long ago, I was telling someone I trust that I was having trouble finding my way with a particular decision I needed to make. So we talked about steps for discernment, for decision making, and I remembered what my mother used to say, well, if you aren't sure, sleep on it first before you decide. And that has often been useful to me but the instruction that caught my attention most during that time of discernment came through two sentences spoken by Howard Thurman, a theologian who was an effective activist and also knew how to listen for the voice of God. Thurman said, you must wait and listen for the sound of the authentic within yourself. When you hear it, it will be your voice and the voice of God. That caught my attention because this is not an either or, either my voice against God's voice as much as it is both and, the convergence of God's voice and my voice. Authentic voice comes from a deep place and Joseph is going to need it. When Mary first heard, when Joseph first heard that Mary was with child, before he knew how, was he mostly angry or afraid? Today we know Mary was with child by the Spirit. We cannot linger long with this important detail this morning, but I have been curious how the church over time has interpreted what this with child by the Spirit is about. It was miraculous then, and it still seems that way now. The surprise then, pre-scientific, pre-DNA, was not that there was only one human parent. People then believed in demigods, beings that were half person and half God. So it was not surprising to them that a very special child would be partly divine 
and a very special birth always needed a very special birth story. But Mary's child by the spirit would not be half God and half man, but fully human and fully divine. But does one plus one equal one? The math doesn't add up, says Dorothy Butler Bass. She's a practical theologian. But the idea of a miraculous birth, that, she says, is elegant, and the church needs it. To follow how people have responded to this surprise through history would take a full Sunday school discussion, and that would be so interesting. But this is actually not the question Joseph is asking. Before the angel came, Joseph had already decided to do the right thing and dismiss Mary quietly. This was already more generous than any faithful divorce lawyer would have expected. Joseph was prepared to take social shame on himself. So he was on solid ground. Remember, just when Joseph had resolved, we pick it up now at verse 20. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Naming in those days was up to the mothers, not the fathers. There, there are certain things women do really well. I've heard of a, of a tradition in a certain Asian village where whenever a baby is coming, all the women of the village gather for a baby shower. They believe that every baby that is born brings some gift that the community needs at that very point in time. So they try to imagine what gift this child might be bringing. But this angel doesn't wait for the women to gather in Nazareth. The angel gives to Joseph the job of passing along the name from God for this baby. To name a child was to claim responsibility for the child. Those of us who are adopted or who have adopted people in our families, we know this. When you are adopted, you are totally in. From a parent's perspective, you are chosen, named, and loved. The name of this child is Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. This thing that is happening is of God by the Spirit. Will Joseph allow the Spirit to move into his fear? The word spirit, with a capital S, is often paired with the adjective creative. In the beginning, the spirit moved over the waters in creation, into the world, into history, into the church. The spirit's main work, said one commentator, is making Jesus a living person inside human life. And wherever the Holy Spirit is at work, it looks very human. 
sometimes to get what this means, we have to see what it looks like. And I got a picture of how it looks to a high school senior where I work. She said she comes from a secular family, from a secular culture also, and from a family that has no gods. She knew about Christianity, but she had never experienced it before. Here she said, the veil of mystery has been lifted for me. She described her host family and the church they go to. I would never have learned as much about Christianity, she said, if I hadn't actually lived with people. She says, she feels that she has come very close to Jesus. But, she added, I'm not ready to be baptized yet. It's too important to me. If I decide to get baptized, it will be because I am ready to live as a Christian. It has now become a possibility for her. When the spirit, with a capital S, touches our spirit, lowercase s, there is a spark. Do we allow it to touch us? In this season, I have heard again that Americans in general live with very high rates of clinical depression. And it has been said that in the loss of God in Western Europe is probably its deepest existential loss. The U.S. may not be far from it. So while some Christians at Christmas debate the scientific question of the virgin birth, we can say that our faith does not stand or fall on being able to explain all of that. But there are make or break issues in our day, and one of them is the question of whether or not God is really present in our world and whether God is present with us in Jesus and by the Spirit. Our culture often seems to want an above us, not to involved God, rather than a with us God. And yet there are times, like Friday in Connecticut, when the cry for God with us is so clear. St. Rose of Lima Roman Catholic Church was full on Friday night. And early in the chaos, a desperate plea appeared on a sign, say a prayer. This is a time to think clearly about ethical responses, as Joseph did. But when we are looking for presence, prayers, and poets often show the way. And so Friday night, Louisiana-born poet Yusef Komenyaka wrote a vigorous and tender poem, including these two lines. Guardian angels, wherever you are hiding, we know you can't be everywhere at once. River stones are listening, but all we can say now is mercy, please rock me. Whether or not God is present in the world and in Jesus was also a question in Joseph's day. And in the church of Matthew's time, it was a deal breaker. And that is why 
in the middle of this birth story, at verse 22, we come upon scripture within scripture. Matthew wants us to notice that this birth is not just something out of the blue, something ordinary. So in verse 22, Matthew quotes Isaiah 7:14. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The prophet there was expressing a hope for Isaiah's own time. The hope was that Judah would be delivered from war and the threat of war, and very soon in that very time. So the unnamed virgin in verse 22 was actually referring to a young woman in Isaiah's time. The hope for deliverance was for then, but Matthew in his day also understood that Jesus was to fulfill what Isaiah spoke. So in a sense, we can say Jesus now becomes the son in that verse, and Mary becomes the virgin in verse 22. If these verses seem a little dense, it might help to hear how Bible translators in our day have interpreted these verses in pidgin English. In pidgin English, this is what the prophet said. She gone born one boy, and you gone name him Jesus, because he going to take his people out of the kind of bad stuff they do. Not long ago, I heard on the radio an interview with two Jewish authors who were speaking about ethics. You have to expect times in life, they said, when two moral truths will collide with each other. And then you have to decide which ethic is most just. You will never find two Jews who always agree with each other on any interpretation, they chuckled, because you can't even find one Jew who always agrees with him or herself. Even before the angel appears, Joseph is already living out the love ethic that Jesus will teach. Matthew helps us see later that when Jesus speaks, he will fulfill the hope of the prophets who also spoke for God, just like the angel. Jesus will say, we are so familiar with this, it has been said, but I say unto you. This is the creative tension where we live. Just when Joseph had made up his mind on the right thing to do, God came close with a better idea. Who wouldn't be afraid of what it might require? It might require a move to another country or a change of heart. Will Joseph see that this is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to enter? The spirit, when it comes into life, does not cancel human responsibility. It enables it. Joseph makes a re-evaluation by the Spirit. This moment, I think, was like the transition stage in a woman's labor. 
Or maybe like some moments in a congregation's interim year when it is trying to reevaluate its particular mission. In this moment, this baby is coming, and there is no stopping it now. Joseph is of the line of David. Matthew makes that clear. But at this birth, there will be no royal gynecologist waiting at the palace and no one betting on the royal name. Joseph will diaper his baby. And when a little later, when he becomes a toddler, he will bring a warm cloth to wash his face and lift him out of his high chair. And still later, he will teach him how to make things with wood. And later still, wood will figure large in the story as we approach Easter. Still with Joseph, we arrive finally at the end of the sermon at verse 24. Joseph awoke from sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her, Mary, as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son. And here's his action. He named him Jesus. So let us now, this morning, also say, come Lord Jesus.